Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and you've given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock of your right hand planted and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we thank you that you have given us grace upon grace, and we pray that this morning and ask that your face would shine upon us through the text, through your word, and Lord, that it would not only shine to us, but it would bring faith where needed, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what would you like for Christmas? It's the question I'm asking. What would you like for Christmas? I think many of us, we would say, you know what, I'd I'd rather not even answer the question. Um, Maybe perhaps you're uh, afraid that, uh, you know, if you answer the question, it's the the object you're looking at is a little too expensive or uh, a a little bit too high priced for your loved ones. And it, uh, you know, so you say, "Ah, I don't know if I'm going to even answer the question. But if you don't answer the question, on the other hand, it does put you in a rather dangerous position where if your loved ones give you a gift and it turns out to be a gift that is no good to you, you have the awkward decision of trying to pick out which secondhand store to sneak the gift off to before they realize. Rico Tice in his book that uh, Dave opened up saying there's a few copies out there, in his little book he says he once received a, a rather interesting uh, gift He opened up the gift and it was a dog bowl. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're one of those people who like to give um, gifts to your pets for Christmas and and their birthdays. You know, if you're one of those folks, you know, and admittedly we are, but um, I don't want you to raise your hand. It, It is one of those things that's interesting. So, Rico receives this dog bowl and you could say he, he, it's interesting because he's thinking, well... On one hand, I mean, this isn't really a gift for me. It's for the dog, right? So you're giving a gift to somebody that's supposed to be for them, but it turns out to be for their pet. But Rico says, it's even weirder because I don't even have a dog. So then what would you like for Christmas? Do you answer the question? 
I would encourage you to do just that. The psalm we are in this morning, I'm going to argue, is essentially a Christmas wish list in which the psalmist and the congregation, they sing this Christmas wish list, not even realizing that's what it is. They're asking God, making requests for these things. And they're asking Yahweh for very specific things, not realizing how God would bring these gifts or even if he would. And so this morning we're looking at a Christmas wish list. And the Christmas wish list will unfold in three ways. First, a shepherd to guide us, verses 1 through 7. And then we'll see a protected and fruitful vineyard in, four, in 8 through 14. And then finally, we'll conclude with a son of man in 15 through 19. So first, a shepherd to guide us. I don't know if you've ever been a member of a country or a nation that has had a golden era in the past, but is currently on a declining state. I don't know if you've ever belonged to a nation like that. Israel, I know, I'm getting some weird looks. (laughs) My point being, some may argue that the United States has faced a golden era and we are in decline. And, and I think Israel, in many cases, as we enter into the psalm, they're, they're there. They're just several steps further down the line than we are, if we're honest. Much further down the line because they're, they come to a point where, um, they, they recognize we had been, our fields were filled with fruit. We had been enjoying peace. For a moment, Israel had risen to prominence. They, they, they were living with a reigning king. The people had full-hearted joy for a moment, but it didn't last very long. Corruption leaked in, and soon the effect trickled out to bring the entire people and the nation to a low point. Now, Israel had 12 tribes. And if, if we think of them as perhaps, you know, um, 12 small states, like the United States, but 12 small states, at the point of this psalm, 10 of the 12 had pretty much dissolved, either destroyed, overtaken, or exiled. And, and at this point, there's been much destruction. And so it's, it's at this place where the, the congregation is reeling at this. Uh, what, what is being sung here is, seems to be actually occurring in the south uh, land, even though we have several tribes mentioned here. In, in verse 1, uh, we, we see that where they're singing is where the cherubim are enthroned on top of the ark. And so, here this is where the presence of God dwells. I think it's difficult to say with any great confidence why these specific tribes are mentioned, but even with the nation of Israel being split, there was a civil war there between the north and south. Ephraim and Judah, it is noteworthy that here, that as they, the, the, two, the two have split into two nations, essentially, the south is lamenting over the destruction of some of the tribes in the north. So even while there's division, there's lament that we were once a united front. We had this bountiful land. We had the fruit. Everything was going great. And look at us now. We're all broken apart. And there's a sense of us and a sense of we here in this psalm as they grieve. And then we see how, and this is highlighted, how bad things have become. Verse, verse 5 shows they have been mourning. And they're mourning to the point where the image given is for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, they're eating their tears. Um, They're eating their sorrow. The peace that they once had has come to ruin, skirmish upon skirmish. And then as if that wasn't bad enough, further we see that they are a joke in the eyes of their enemies. Now, 
You, you, if, if, if your enemies are fearing you, what they are is quiet. They, they, they reel back. They shrink back. They're quiet. They don't say a word. Or they bite their nails. But when your enemy is joking about you, it reveals who has the upper hand. Israel has now become a laughingstock. And so they wish for a change. Here do they, they don't merely write down their prayer wish list, nor do they solemnly pray a Christmas wish list. Rather, the congregation sings this wish list to, to the Lord. And so they sing for a shepherd to lead them. This is verses 1 and 2 again. I'm going to rewind to bring these back to mind. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your right and come and save us. O shepherd, shepherd us, lead us, and even more, save us from our destruction. Israel was a a nation unlike any other nation. Here, rather than having a wise earthly king lead them, they were a nation that sung, realizing, and and at some level, acknowledging the Lord was the one who had to lead them, even if it was mediated through a local king. How often are we like the other nations? How often are you like me, and you're looking for a leader who will help us out in our predicament? And so we get really excited when a political leader is voted in, or we get really upset when a political leader might be voted out. Do we put too much stock into these leaders? Do we get our hopes too much up for our pastor or our elders or our community leaders or others? Not realizing, friends, if it's not the Lord who's doing the true leading of us, we're toast. It doesn't matter who's in or who's out. No, the recognition is here that these leaders, they will always let us down. No matter how good intentioned earthly leaders are, they will not ever lead us like he will. So the song of our heart as a people ought to be verse 3, where we heard sung, Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And and you could see this in most Bibles that verse 3 Verse 7 and verse 19, they're kind of on their own. They stand on their own. And you can see the overlapping there, re- repeated uh, phrases. This is almost like the chorus of the song. So you, you know when you go home and, or you've been in the grocery store and you go back to your car and you have that chorus that just kind of, you're like, oh, I don't even like that song, but it's stuck in my head. Well, here, this, this line in, in verse 3, 7, and 19, it's the repeated idea. It, it, it's that, that these people would find God restoring them, shining upon them, that they would be saved. Because God, from the picture here, has been frowning. They're looking up and they only see gray clouds. Verse 4 paints this very bleak picture. This is not as if Israel just happened to face outer enemies and they randomly took them over. No, God is angry with them and actually has led the people into this calamity. This predicament that they're in is because that they have turned from God and God has now turned them over to this destruction. They were unfaithful. And so in tears and contention, this prompts the second time we hear the chorus. Not here, just restore us, O God. But there's a little addition down here in verse 7. Restore us, O God of hosts. And you'll notice this, it's interesting. Each time the chorus is repeated, there's a little bit more added to it. And here this invokes this image of, the, of God not just being up high, but he's actually the army commander. He is the chief. 
Uh, he is the one, the, the, the Lord of hosts, that is the one who reigns over the soldiers, who leads them. Um, the armies of heaven, if you will, this is what's in view. And what might be considered um, in verse 3, it switches imagery here. No longer are we looking uh, beyond this point just at the shepherd. We, we now turn, as we consider verse 8 and following, a protected and fruitful vineyard. That is the request. It's, the, it's on the Christmas wish list. So, so look at verse 8 through 14 again with me. The psalmist says, You brought out a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and then you planted it. And you cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. And the mountains were covered with the shade the mighty cedars with its branches, it sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broke down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Uh, the, the image that's being painted by this second stanza, uh, maybe a, a second verse we might call it here, is that being that the people of God were a vine that was plucked up out of Egypt, And then planted eventually in the land of Israel. This vine grew up so well that it went from border to border. So all the way to the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. All the way to the river, the great river Euphrates. And up to the cedars of Lebanon. And so all, you can picture this. If you have a good fruitful vineyard, you need it to be protected. You need the border walls to to kind of hem it all in. To keep the bad people out and let 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 the whole fruitful vineyard thrive. And the picture here is, that is exactly what's going on. Now, it is interesting, if you back up just for a moment here, you notice that the borders of this fruitful vineyard actually extend beyond the land that the Israelites occupied. They, they occupied a, a smaller sliver. They, they didn't go all the way to the Great River, didn't go all the way up to the uh, north in Lebanon. But it's interesting because what this implies, what the psalmist is singing is about, is that the blessing that came upon Israel was so good, it touched the surrounding nations. So that where God was being worshipped, where the land was bountiful, it was so good for the people, it blessed people beyond the borders. This is interesting. When, When people of God are functioning in faith as we've been called to, we too, I believe, are likewise going to be a blessing beyond the walls of this log church. This community will rejoice that we're here if in faith we are living as God has called us to live. Um, People will rejoice on your streets that you live there. The communities that we are living in will be blessed and will be better because Christians who trust in Jesus live on their block. Do do you see this? Have you considered this? Have you recognized, Christian, that your presence, where you dwell at, is not to be a curse to your neighbors around you, but is to be a blessing? They should be sad and grieve if you were to move. They should rejoice the fact that I, you know, when things are rough, I know I have a Christian neighbor next to me who will bless me, who will help me. And then we see here again in verse 14, the psalmist crying out, turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine. The ESV footnote explains this restore us here that we see repeated could also be rendered turn again. And this is interesting because it, it shows how this turn again in verse 14 
maybe actually a variation on the chorus, on the repeated melody. And in, li- in this light, verses 14 and 15 actually form a longer version of the refrain, explaining more fully what, what would it mean for God to restore his people and let his face shine? What would that look like? It, I think it also taps into the very heart here of of God. It's, it's not just asking for his might. It's not just saying, would you put back the walls? Would you give us strength? But it's trying to tap into God's very heart because it says, have regard, have regard for this vine. In other words, don't you, God, don't you care for your people? Don't you even care for us? It, it's tapping into his very heart here. And, and this, this picture then in this hand quickly makes way for a third image, not of a, of a shepherd nor of a fruitful vine, but a particular man is needed. And so they're, they're wishing for these things. They're saying, we, we would like a, a shepherd who will really truly lead us because there's nobody leading us now that's worthy of note. And God, could you just give us a shepherd? Could you give us back the fruitful vineyard that we've had? And then here, an interesting turn in verse 15. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, for they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand. And the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself, that we may not turn back from you, give us life. And we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. In great ugliness, this vineyard... It wasn't just chomped on by wild boars. We, we, we read that earlier. The picture of the vineyard is wild boars came in and just ate it up. Now here, the imagery is even more nefarious. If you had a vineyard and you had a wild animal that ate some of your vineyard, well, you would be, you'd be upset. You'd be frustrated. But if your neighbor came in and burned your vineyard down, you'd be enraged. This is the picture here. Not only had just natural degradation happened by, by the wild beasts, but they had been tromped on by their neighbors. In other words, the picture is the surrounding nations have come to take over and trample them. And so the request and the wish list turns from a shepherd to the vineyard to the man. And the son whom the father will place his blessing on will be the one who is restored in vitality, in strength, in faithfulness. I think the metaphor here is that Israel, or perhaps Israel's king, is pictured as a son. Uh, friends, you need to understand this son imagery, this, this picture of the son is something that is carried throughout the, the Old Testament, and it is a place we need to pause and consider what is first being understood by the original audience and what is being understood now, the sign of the cross. And as you go back, you see places where the son really seems to be in different passages, uh, it seems to be in reference to Israel, the people of God. In other places, it seems to be in reference to the king. And, and either way you take this, it's not uh, to be taken forced one way or too hard or the other because at the end of the day, the king and the people rise and fall together. So this son reference is to be bound up together so that you want the son the, the very people who are supposed to be God's people, his children, the son, to rise 
And, and so some take this as king, others as the nation. But the issue here is that the people look at each other and they look to the king. They're saying, we need a strong leader who will come back with vitality, with strength, and with faithfulness and truly lead us out of this calamity we're in, out of this disaster. What's the issue here with God granting these requests? What's the problem here with God saying, okay, I've heard this Christmas wish list. I've heard these three. You, you want a shepherd? You want a vineyard? You want a, a son? What's the problem with God answering this wish list? The people's issue is our issue. They have not been faithful. These people deserve black coal in their stocking. We deserve not blessing. We have not done anything that should warrant God saying, I will grant you all the requests and then some. The the truth is, they don't deserve it, and so therefore God should not give it. And, And they cry over and over here, save us, save us. In our, in our culture, we have people crying through various ways, whether it's through social media or through their dieting or through their lifestyle or through all the habits they do. They're crying out saying, save us, save us. How can God possibly go and bring about the needed rescue? How can he do it? Friends, they've spurned him and this is why destruction has come. How can God bring about the needed rescue? How can his face shine upon the ones who ought to be punished? God answers this problem in a particular way. I will give a gift to you that will bring about restoration while simultaneously paying the price for our sin. Friends, the answer comes in Jesus Christ alone. This is the good news of Advent. It's the good news that we're celebrating here this morning. Being that Jesus, when he was on earth, he read through the book of Psalms and he said, this book, it's about me. So when you read this book, ask, where am I in this? And as you read this, Christians cannot help but think of Christ here as the one come. He is the one who satisfies this wish list. They want a shepherd who is God himself. They want a fruitful vineyard and a vine that is growing in it. They want a son of man who will rise up in faithfulness and strength and vitality. And the reply that God gives these to these three is one gift that will satisfy each of these requests. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. So that in God, we get both the fruitful vine and the gardener who promises to bring us to that fruitful city to come. We think of Revelation chapter 22, where we will be there with the the tree of life and it's 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit in each season for us, providing the fruitful vineyard we need. It's no coincidence, friends, that our psalm this morning references the vine being taken up and plucked out of Egypt and then planted in Israel. And we think first, well, yes, the Israelites, they left Egypt and they went to Israel. But it's no coincidence that Jesus, 
was the fruitful vine who went to Egypt and was plucked up later to be brought back to Israel. Remember the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, verse 14, where we read, he arose and took the child and his mother by night and they departed from Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And then this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I've called my son. And in this Jesus Christ, we not only have our chief shepherd and vine, but in this Jesus Christ, we have the self-appointed title that he gives himself more than any other title. The son of man. For even the son of man, he says, came to be, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Friends, I opened up this morning asking you, what would you like for Christmas? And then we considered a psalm that really had nothing to do with Christmas. I mean, as you read through it, was there wise men? Were there stars? Was there frankincense? Was there myrrh? None of this. But a more thoughtful glance reveals that with the destruction of Israel, it revealed a need that necessitated a wish list. And though the congregation is unable to hear it in fully what they're singing, they sing more than they know. And as they're singing, they're saying, here's our wish list. Here's our Christmas wish list. And comes the one, the son of man, who is the answer. They sing about God, their shepherd. They sing about the vineyard. They want to see it restored. And the main idea being here that in Jesus is coming, we have our shepherd. We have our true vine. We have our son of man. We need a shepherd, a vine, and a man who can restore, shine, and save. And Jesus is that one. What are you asking for for Christmas? What do you wish for? We better ask Jesus for something lest we be given a dog bowl and you don't even have a dog. How many of us, we ask for big ticket items and we are given them. They don't just ever seem to really live up to expectations though, do they? And Jesus says, if you ask for the rescue, for my face to shine upon you, for the salvation, I will give you it all and more. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. Church, we have this in Jesus Christ. Believe that this morning. That the very things that we ask for, the very things we wish for, are ultimately all fulfilled in what we truly need in Jesus Christ alone. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask knowing that you can bring us hope this Christmas season, Um, a faith that the biggest gift that we could really ask for, we ultimately have in you. And Lord, we are anxious to experience that. And so we pray not just come in the Advent way, but come to wrap up and consummate all of history. We pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes of faith, even this morning, to see Jesus, to know the gift is ours, and to rejoice, Lord, for that day when we will see you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.